0: Chapter 7. Hi, I'm John Harrell, a serial entrepreneur and the founder of The Coworking Station and the medical consulting firm Lighthouse Lab Services. Having founded a company that offers recruiting services, I feel the recruiter hat is one of the most important hats that any entrepreneur will wear. I've hired family members, friends, former clients, people I've met at networking groups, church, block parties, and even the guy from Craigslist that I sold my iPhone to. And they're now some of my best employees. You always need to be recruiting. When I get a good vibe from someone, I take a mental note that they may be worth a shoulder tap at some point down the road. Having interviewed hundreds of individuals in my career, I've learned that entrepreneurs need to avoid the temptation to hire their clone. If you build a team of people that are wired like you, you end up with a team of people with the same strengths and weaknesses. The success of your company will live and die based on the people that are on your team, so nothing is more important than recruiting the right talent. Chapter 7, The Recruiter's Hat. In my youth, I worked for a while at a staffing agency. It was just a placeholder job for me at the time, and I had no idea how extremely valuable that experience was going to be for my career as an entrepreneur. This may be a hat that you didn't expect to see in the entrepreneur's wardrobe, but I assure you that this is one of the most important chapters in this book. In fact, if your venture is very successful, you may even find that you are spending the majority of your day wearing this hat. As an entrepreneur, I was always amazed at how much time I spent each day finding, vetting, and hiring superstars who could do their particular job better than me. This is how you build a company beyond its humble beginnings. After your product launch and first revenue, as things really get going, you'll start to detect a subtle shift in your business. The emphasis starts to gravitate away from what you can do as a single individual and it moves towards what you can inspire and lead others to do. But before you can lead, you have to successfully recruit. Of all the entrepreneurs' hats, this one is the least appreciated. At one point early in my career, I had nearly 200 software developers working for me at one of my companies. I had a reputation for paying my developers well but that's not the whole story. When the company was just starting to take off, I discovered something extremely important. As I assigned projects and reviewed deliverables, over time, I discovered that the productivity of my few coding superstars was up to three or four times greater than that of my typical coder. It became apparent to me that paying my superstars a third more salary was a great value and a no brain required decision. The superstar phenomenon seems to hold true across all disciplines. It is a commonly held statistic that in sales, 80% of a company's revenue is generated by only 20% of its sales team. A superstar is someone who has the full package. They have the drive, experience, intelligence, work ethic, attitude, and desire to really make a difference. A lot of their personal self-esteem is tied to how well they perform at their job, and they are always on a mission. If you have a small startup, and you've found even one or two superstars, then you are extremely fortunate. Some of the largest and fastest-growing companies today were built using superstar hiring policies. Managers are required to fire up to 5% of their lowest-performing staff each year to create openings for potential new superstar hires. This may sound ruthless, but the logic is sound. Mediocre hires are the most common hires made. But tragically, they are also the worst possible hire you can make. Why? Because you will fire a bad hire and get another chance at bat. But mediocre hires just hang around doing just enough. Not really good enough to keep, but not bad enough to fire either. They are blocking the opening for that superstar that could be working for you. Good recruiting is extremely important because more than your idea, business model, or technology, the success of your venture is dependent on the people you choose to hire. They are the company. Your venture will be no more exceptional than the people who comprise it. You are ultimately responsible for all of your company's successes and failures, regardless of which staff person did what. Whatever good they accomplish, and whatever failures they cause, it is all on you because ultimately you hired them. Almost all of the first-time entrepreneurs I work with struggle with the recruiting hat. Life in a startup is usually governed by go as fast as you can, but when it comes to hiring, I encourage teams to slow down, take your time, interview several candidates meticulously, and make no hire rather than a mediocre one. As I've pointed out before, We entrepreneurs tend to be optimists. We expect things to go well and for new hires to just work out. In addition to this, we are always busier than a mosquito at a nudist camp. Sometime you may think that any warm body to carry some of the load would be better than what you are currently up against. Don't be lured into quick, easy solutions. Most people aren't superstars, and a good number of them can even make you regret ever starting your venture. Making a bad hire is always painful, but it is especially costly in a startup where founders are often doing most of the hiring and training. Your personal loss productivity is usually the greatest casualty of a poor hiring decision. What would happen if your startup was made up entirely of superstars? Is that even possible? I believe that it is, but it requires a lot of work under the recruiter's hat and the stomach to let poor and mediocre hires go. Once you've got your product, pitch, and process down, it's all about the recruiting. The only way to increase the caliber of your hires is to increase the caliber of your hiring practices. Okay, I've probably beaten the importance of recruiting into your head enough. So how do you become a superstar recruiter? Recruiting, effectively, is a lot like sales, only harder because you not only have to find and vet the best candidates, you then have to sell them on why they should come work for your risky little startup. That sounds like a good outline for the rest of this chapter. 1. Finding 2. Vetting and 3. Hiring Superstars When it comes to finding superstars, if you don't start recruiting until you need someone, then you are probably too late. Recruiting is something an entrepreneur is always doing. The way to get more sales through to the bottom of your pipeline is to start with more prospects in the top of your funnel. This same rule applies to recruiting. Successful entrepreneurs develop superstar radar. Everywhere we go, we are on the lookout for people who are at the top of their game. Star performers in their current position. Superstars are rarely unemployed. They don't read the classifieds or job posts on Craigslist. They are precious assets that have to be lured away from less satisfying situations, less lucrative positions, and less appreciative employers. It's time to add another tab to that spreadsheet called Possible Superstars. Every time you meet someone who might be a superstar, make sure to get contact information and stay in touch. Send them company updates, demonstrating what a great ground-floor opportunity or startup is. Don't go for a quick close. Just plant the seed and keep watering it periodically. I would always try to keep a few dozen names on my list of potential superstars. They were my candidates in the wings and my first go-to list when a position on stage was created or came available. Recruiting takes effort and forethought attend entrepreneurial and professional events collect business cards from people who impress you write down the name of that exceptional waiter if you find yourself talking to a group of salespeople ask them who is the top salesperson in your company who's the best software engineer you've ever worked with best marketer bookkeeper administrator etc I also maintain an email distribution list of people I know who tend to be in the know, like attorneys, CPAs, accountants, bankers, professors, business journal reporters, angel investors, VC, and those guys who run startup incubators and accelerators. Whenever one of my companies is in the market for a superstar, the job description is sent out to my network. I always get a few potential candidates from someone who knows someone. Although superstars are rarely unemployed, there are some exceptions. When companies go out of business, merge, get acquired, shut down an office, or announce a move out of the area, these are rare opportunities to troll for their superstars. Contact their outplacement office. Post internal recruitment ads. Even consider running recruitment ads on local media following a big announcement. A number of startups turn to staffing agencies, especially for technical hires, where specific skills can be difficult to find. I've made a few good hires using agencies, but not many. Agencies add costs to your hiring, and superstars don't tend to need an agency. Agencies can also be the bastion of short-term job hoppers who have a tendency to wear out their welcome in less than a year, perpetually needing a new gig. This said, staffing agencies are sometimes a necessity while you build up your recruiting network. For short-term projects such as porting your code to another platform or device, an agency contract might be just the ticket. Agencies can also be used effectively if you negotiate a buyout option on your contractors, enabling you to use agency staff as a candidate vetting pool. Still, the vast majority of your superstars are going to come from the network you build and nurture over time. As with all prospecting, remember to always ask for a referral. If you contact someone who is not available or ready to jump ship, ask that person to refer you to someone else that they know and respect who might be interested in your position. Some of my best superstars were actually references from another candidate I was vetting. If you are an entrepreneur, then you are always recruiting. I remember at one of my companies, that I set aside a couple of hours every afternoon to build my recruiting network and candidate pool. Every week, I try to take at least one known superstar to lunch and just talk. I tell him or her about how much fun we were having at my company and how one day we would be working together. I knew that if I did not carve out and schedule that time on my calendar, then I'd get busy and always have an excuse to be doing something else. The first secret of hiring superstars is to recruit them before you need them. If you need to wait until you need a position filled to start recruiting, then the probability of making a knee-jerk bad hire will go up exponentially. Okay, you've built your recruiting network and have a decent pool of potential candidates. Now, how do you know which ones are really superstars? This is where the science and psychology of predictive performance comes into play. More than any other factor, the single best predictor of future performance is past performance. Spend a lot of time really digging into what a candidate did at each previous job. Resumes are generally evasive and inflated, so force your candidates to give you objective information. So what percent of a typical day at that job did you spend actually coding? Of the 10 sales executives there, where did you rank in terms of new revenue generated? Did you always make your quota? I've had to fire a number of employees that interviewed wonderfully. The problem was this. I simply was not skilled enough as an interviewer to create a clear picture of their past experience and attributes. Interviewing is hard work. Stay focused on your goals and don't let candidates off the hook until you feel that you have really gotten to an objective, quantifiable answer. Some candidates especially sales executives, can be very evasive. Here's an example of a skilled interviewer refusing to let a customer support candidate dodge a question. Interviewer So you worked as a customer support representative at that company? Candidate Oh yes, that was my responsibility. Interviewer Was that your only responsibility? Candidate Well, I was a team player who did whatever I was asked to do. Interviewer So what other responsibilities did you have? Candidate I did some QA, management, and administrative work as well. Interviewer So what percentage of a typical day were you actually on a support call? Candidate Well, actually, I just took a call if the regular support guys were all busy. Interviewer Did you receive any customer support training? Candidate: No, only the customer support team had to be trained. There are other telling questions you should always include. Most established companies have some formal performance evaluation in place. This is a good historical place to drill down. Tell me about your last employee evaluation. Did you agree with it? What were you praised most for? What areas for improvement were suggested? Do you think the reviewer was being fair? How did it compare to the previous assessment? Did you make any changes personally after the assessment? Besides having the particular skills and experience you are looking for, there are several other important attributes you will need to assess. A number of attributes have to line up to create a superstar intelligence, experience, manageability, integrity, desire, creativity, work ethic, etc. A very smart and talented person won't contribute much unless they also have the drive to apply those skills. To use a car analogy, you need a big motor and you need some gas in the tank. Until you get really good at interviewing, you may want to keep a list of telling questions in front of you as you interview. I like to organize my questions around the attribute that I'm attempting to assess. Let's start with manageability. Manageability is the attribute that makes all of the other attributes useful. Back to our car analogy. A big motor and lots of gas aren't too useful if the steering wheel is missing. There are a lot of very talented people in this world with tragic authority complexes. They really struggle with the concept of being told what to do or having their performance evaluated. Rather than feeling pride that they accomplished an assigned task and contributed to their team, they will obsess over why that task was assigned to them in the first place. Was it worthy of my talents? Shouldn't other tasks have been assigned before this one? Will I get the credit I deserve for working on this? You get the picture. Those with authority issues fancy themselves as managers, but because they have not yet learned how to follow faithfully, they will also suck as managers. Manageability issues at best create an inefficient drag on the company, and at worst, they can turn into a cancer that can spread to others and undermine your authority. I'll discuss this more when we get to the leadership hat. But for now, it's sufficient to know that when you detect this personality trait when interviewing, you need to run away as fast as you can. The good news is that manageability issues are relatively easy to spot during the interview process. Rebels just can't help but to let themselves be lured into a discussion that in some way provides them with an opportunity to bash the object of their disdain, i.e., the guy unfortunate enough to have been their previous manager. I asked candidates who they reported to at a previous job, followed by, tell me about that person's strengths and weaknesses. Keep drilling down with questions. If the candidate says the manager's weakness was poor communication or an inability to delegate, then ask for some specific examples of times when the manager demonstrated this behavior. Don't let the candidate off the hook until you are completely satisfied. These examples are most likely burned in the candidate's memory. Surely you remember some instance that made you feel this way. Let the candidates talk. Those with authority complexes really are dying to tell you what an ass their previous manager was, but they're also trying to tell you what they think you want to hear. Keep giving them rope, and they'll eventually trip themselves with it. If you do have manageability concerns about a candidate, just keep drilling down on that attribute for as long as it takes. Another good line of questioning is to ask these candidates to tell you about a time when they believe that a manager acted immorally, dishonestly, or without integrity. Most candidates won't attribute these attributes to a manager, but those with an authority complex will jump right into personal integrity criticisms. Obviously, there are some bad managers out there, and people who, unfortunately, get stuck working for them. Don't throw out every candidate that's honest enough to tell you about an unpleasant experience. But do listen carefully to the examples provided by these candidates. Did the candidate act in a reasonable manner? Does he or she show any hints of compassion or empathy for the manager in question? Was there an unlikely pattern of bad managers? Organization is another attribute you need to access. Some people are real scatterbrains. They may have moments of brilliance, but if they aren't self-governed, it is unlikely that they will stay focused systematically long enough to make meaningful contributions. Dig in. It sounds like you had a lot of responsibilities there. How did you keep up with all of that? Ease into your line of questioning. You don't want the candidates to figure out what you are trying to assess and play you. Tell me about a time when you felt overwhelmed at that job and how you got control of the situation. Tell me about a system you created to help you organize and be more productive. You get the picture. Keep in mind that even superstars are not perfect a great candidate might still need some work on his or her organizational skills. The interview is not just about weeding people out. It's also about understanding what assistance your new hires might need and how best to manage them. Drive is the fire in the belly that engages other attributes. There are some people who have a cruise-to-retirement burnt-out mindset regardless of age. They want to do just enough to get by and to be liked by everyone. If you are hiring a receptionist, then this may not be as big of an issue, but if you are hiring a salesperson, you'll need to really assess your candidate's desire to stand out. Where do you see yourself in five years? What have you read done attended recently to improve yourself? Do they have ambition? What have they done recently to advance themselves that took effort? Tell me about something you did or achieved for which you are really proud. Here's a tip. Blank stares and cricket noises after that request should raise a big red flag. Think about which attributes are most important for the position for which you are hiring and plan your interview around really digging into them. I like to separate the skills interview from the personal attributes interview. If you are hiring a coder, then make them take a certification test and or give them a coding problem to solve on the spot. Have your best engineer grill them. If it's a salesperson, they better be able to discuss the facts slash benefits statements used in previous jobs and how they overcame common objections. Try to bait them into an argument and see how artfully they avoid the trap. No matter how well they do in the skills interview, if they don't pass the attributes slash character interview, then they are not a superstar. There are a few attributes that you just can't live without, regardless of the position for which you are hiring. Manageability is one. Another must-have is the ability to be a team player. Being a team player falls into the broader category of maturity emotionally immature people don't make good employees. They can create a lot of distracting drama in your organization. They are endlessly taking offense at something or someone and then launching an office campaign to see what other staff members they can get to agree with them on the matter. Non-productive water cooler talk goes up exponentially. Direct and efficient communication can start to give way to guarded statements navigating a minefield of petty hurt feelings a small office can actually start to ride the emotional roller coaster of a single drama queen or king if you sense possible emotional immaturity then drill down into it with your questions tell me about a time when a coworker did something that was really upsetting to you fortunately this is another attribute that is fairly easy to detect by asking probing questions Another byproduct of maturity is a reasonable self-esteem. I've known brilliant people whose great ideas often went unnoticed because of a lack of assertiveness. I'm much less concerned about a boisterous ego. True, they can be annoying. But if you're hiring superstars, then you are going to get some big egos. This type of energy can be channeled. Big egos respond well to goal-setting, healthy competitions, And public praise. I've even found that an oversized ego is usually a telltale attribute of a superstar salesperson. Low self esteem is a real problem. It can be coached if you have the time, but in general, a startup needs assertive go getters who will fearlessly go toe to toe with you and others in a room, throwing out ideas, criticizing suggested approaches, and taking ownership of the risky process of uncertain decision making. We make a lot of mistakes in startups. That's how we learn. It's a good thing. Remember that you want to encourage your employees to make all of the mistakes they can as quickly as possible. Sounds silly, but this is more of an attitude than anything else. If your team is not trying things in rapid succession and throwing out what does not work, then they are not learning what will work. Fast iteration is one of the primary strengths a startup has over big business. You want to foster that risk-taking culture, so avoid hiring less assertive and less confident people who won't fit well into that culture. Once you've finished your interviews and think you may have found a superstar, it's time to start your due diligence. No matter how well a person interviews, never hire someone at face value. One of the best interviewees I ever hired turned out to have a serious drug problem. I keep repeating this because it's so important. Past performance is the best indicator of future performance. There are some great actors in this world that can fool even the most skilled interviewer, but it is much harder to hide from your past. I believe reference checking is as important as the interview process, if not more so. The only references you should check are those of managers to which your candidate directly reported. Don't bother with coworker and customer references. You want to talk to the persons that were responsible for your candidate's performance. There can be a big difference between someone you like and someone who can be a great hire. One of my good friends that I've known and loved for many years would not last five days actually working for me. I know this because I did hire him and I did fire him. We still hang out. I know others who are absolutely no fun to hang out with, but who make exceptional hires. I may not go out drinking with them, but in a real startup fight, there's no one I'd rather have by my side. Hiring is not about who you like, it's about whose performance you are going to like. Don't delegate your reference check calls. They are too important and require skills similar to the ones you use while interviewing candidates. Managers, like most people, don't like to say negative things about others. Some are dealing with a little guilt for firing the employee and feel that they owe it to the person to help them get another job. You've got to dig down and keep asking questions until you are satisfied with the references' responses. Start out by confirming what the candidate told you as to dates, responsibilities, and percent of time doing various tasks, and then start digging into character attributes. So would you hire this person again today to do that job? On a scale from one to 10, what overall performance score would you give this person? That's good, but tell me, why not a 10? In the last evaluation, in what areas did you suggest improvement could be made? Tell me about a time when this person exceeded did not meet your expectations. Tell me about a time that you recall this person having a conflict with a coworker. You get the picture. The referral interview is very similar to the candidate interview. If you have concerns about an attribute from your candidate interview, then spend extra time digging into that attribute during the reference interview. As I said, hiring superstars takes time, but it is a mere fraction of the time required to hire, train, fire, and replace a poor choice. Some managers, especially at very large companies, adhere to an HR policy of not providing references other than to confirm dates of employment. You can usually get around this using a little guilt trip psychology. First, confirm that your reference check and all information provided will be kept in complete confidence. Tell the manager that you cannot hire a candidate without his previous manager's recommendation interview. If managers insist that they are not allowed to provide additional information, then say something like, well, I'll let Mr. Smith know that he is not eligible for our position because you were unwilling to provide a reference. Pour it on if you have to. You know, I received a reference call from your HR department regarding one of our previous employees just last month. Don't you think it's rather hypocritical of them to ask for references on their candidates while not providing them to others? How do you feel about that policy? There is another big benefit to doing your own reference checking. I always ask the previous manager for advice. If I'm going to be managing Mrs. Smith, what suggestions might you have for me? How did you most effectively coach and get the best out of her? Some managers will answer this question even if they refuse to respond to all others, and the answers can be very enlightening. If you think you are leaning towards hiring a candidate, then listen intently to what previous managers discovered worked well or not so well with that direct report. Some employees like a lot of hands-on involvement, while others prefer more autonomy, etc. You'll learn which management style is most effective with a new hire in time. But a discussion like this with previous managers can really help you shortcut that process. Once you've identified and vetted a superstar, How do you get him or her to work for your little startup? You are probably not going to be able to compete in terms of salary or benefits, but that's okay, because there is something superstars want just as much, relevance. Superstars need to make a difference. Like all of us, but more so, superstars want to feel that their contribution is really important. Knowing that they move the needle significantly and that they are greatly valued and appreciated can, at an emotional level, be even more important to them than maximizing their income. Win your superstars over by letting them know that their contribution to your startup will be far more significant than what they can contribute to a larger company. You know how important they are to you and you need them. This may sound like a silly way to enter a compensation negotiation, but you're not going to win on dollars paid anyway. Look them in the eye and say, let's build this together. I need your advice and your experience. You've got to sell them on your business plan, your offering, and most of all, your unyielding passion to see it through. Most superstars would much rather be a big fish in a little pond than just another fish in a huge lake. They have often been affected by some really dumb policies and uninformed upper management decision-making. Superstars love autonomy and efficiency. They hate it when things slow them down or get in their way. They really hate it when this happens and there is nothing they can do about it. When recruiting superstars, make sure you communicate that this is their chance to cut through all of that. They are going to have a seat at the table and be heard. You are going to listen to them, and they are going to have the freedom to build, sell, manage, and or set things up the way they see fit, so long as they get the results you know they are capable of generating. This is intoxicating to real superstars, who, like thoroughbred racehorses, have been chomping at the bit most of their careers, wanting to get turned loose and to really see what they can do on a wide-open track. Although cash is limited, you should have stock options that you can offer to help make up for lower salary and lesser benefits. Stock options communicate to superstars that you view them as partners. Stock options give them a degree of ownership and allow them to participate in the upside, when their efforts help lead your company to a successful exit. I have had the privilege of handing out some half million dollar and greater checks to employees making less than 100k a year. It's a great feeling and when you start your next venture those same team members will be ready to follow you anywhere. Just as with any sales process you need to be prepared to deal with objections when recruiting less overall compensation is one common objection you'll have to address besides offering stock options I also like to let candidates know that if and when we are successful our compensation packages will increase proportionately let's do well and be in a position to pay ourselves a lot more money this indicates that you are aware that startup salaries are low and that it is your desire to see these improve as soon as the company can support the additional overhead. Another common objection you will have to deal with when recruiting is the job security concern, especially from candidates that have family obligations. Most people have heard that startups are very risky and that most of them go out of business. An effective counter to this objection is to point out that big companies also tend to have layoffs from time to time cancel new products and initiatives, outsource to other countries, go through mergers, and shut down regional offices which also cause unemployed workers. At least in a startup you have some control over the factors that would cause unemployment. I've had friends at the top of their game with perfect performance reviews who suddenly and unexpectedly received a pink slip out of the blue one day from their Fortune 1000 employer. No matter how hard you work, or what you personally contribute, everyone working for a big company has this possibility hanging over them to some degree. In a startup, both good news and bad news are much more accessible. You tend to know what's coming down the pike, and you get multiple opportunities at course correction. You have some control over your fate. You can often sell, build, or fundraise your way through the crisis. You will never be the surprised passive victim of a layoff notice because you will always have a fighting chance. Superstars love to hear this. If you can't agree on a compensation package, then look for some type of merit-based compromise. Yes, the company can pay that much if you can contribute X in new sales revenue or if you can get our beta product release shipped by a certain date, etc. You deserve and should be paid that much. So let's see what we'd have to achieve together to make that happen based on our model. In a startup, we are all dependent on each other. We eat what we can kill. And if you, Mr. Superstar candidate, can contribute as much as I think you can, then we should all be able to eat well before too long. In closing this section out, there are some important exceptions to the normal hiring process that I should point out. Normally, it's best to build a network of good candidates, pre-qualify them, and keep them in reserve until you have an opening or your model tells you that you can afford another headcount. The one exception to this process is for the sales superstar. These rare birds aren't often available, and they don't stay available for very long, so when you have the chance to hire one, just do it. I have never regretted making a position available on such occasions. Sales superstars tend to pay for themselves in short order many times over. I am also much more generous with sales compensation. They will either be earning it or they will be gone because it is easy to measure how well they are doing. As I think about all of my hiring mistakes and home runs over the years, I'm realizing that I could probably write a book just on hiring and training effectively, but there's enough in this chapter to get you moving down the right path. It's been said that you are what you eat. I hope not, but when it comes to your startup, your company is certainly who you hire. That concludes this chapter of the Startup Hats, Master the Many Roles of the Entrepreneur by David Gardner. If you like this chapter and you can't wait for the next one in a week, you can download and listen to the entire audiobook on Audible. Startup Hats is sponsored by Forest Firm, a full service law firm and certified B Corporation with offices across North Carolina and clients around the globe. The Forest Firm mission is to provide legal services that consistently exceed client expectations, create healthy, sustainable work environments for professionals, and positively impact the communities where they live and work. For more information, head on over to ForestFirm.com. For more information on the work that David Gardner is doing with his venture capital firm, visit cofounderscapital.com. Startup Hats is a production of EarFluence and read by me, Dave Clark. You can find more information on EarFluence podcast at earfluence.com.